Well, we should be all caught up for assignments this week. There's nothing else scheduled, so homework five is due Monday. Next is due this coming Monday. And a third, at least one more solar observation is due on Wednesday of next week, so a week from today. And that's the, again, that's the last set. I, that's the one I will look at. So minimum of three you should have right now. Hopefully you got more like six or seven because we're going to be done with the project in a little, over a, a little over a month, I think the project is actually due. So hopefully you're pushing a little bit more than, more than three, but hopefully this has gotten you started at least getting, getting a few of them. Uh, if all goes well, quiz five will be available, not this weekend, the next weekend, uh, starting on Halloween and running through the, through the weekend there. And then exam three, as long as we get through chapters 11 and 12, finish up 11 and get through 12, which we're pretty well on schedule to right now. Uh, that will be November the 3rd on the Monday, uh, the Monday there. So, and otherwise I have your homeworks, I have your articles, I'm going to be going through those today and tomorrow and hopefully have everything back for you on Friday for lab. I should be able to hand everything back during lab, plus your labs from last week. Everything, you should get everything back on Friday. So, that's what's coming up. Any questions? Nope. All right. Picture of the day for today then is a sunspot group uh, named AR2192. Uh, big giant sunspot group over here. If you can't guess, it's going to be a, a short video clip actually watching this sunspot group move across the sun. Uh, where's my, there we are. So we're going to watch this. This is a gigantic sunspot group, so this is a really tremendous one. Uh, I think when we talked about sunspots, which I mentioned that some of the big ones were the size of the Earth. This one's close, about the size of Jupiter. So this is much, much bigger, a very a massive sunspot uh, grouping here. And it's slowly, as the sun rotates, moving across the surface, and that's what you're going to see in this video clip. You're going to watch it coming around the edge. So coming around the edge over there and then slowly working its way towards the center of the sun. Hasn't gotten there yet. This was just taken you know, over the last couple of days. This is the 21st uh, was the last image there. So very, very recent images just concluding yesterday. And as this gets closer and closer to the center, you could see some of that uh, sort of energy. You could see the magnetic energy. I'm going to play that again. You can see all of the little magnetic energy there as this sunspot is extremely active and that gives us a good chance to get an aurora coming up over the next few days as this sends solar flares, coronal mass ejection, sends material out into space. As it gets comes across the center of the sun, it's closer to pointing towards the earth, so much more likely to send material right in our direction. So could be coming up over the next few days. We could get some really much more intense rural activity and a chance to be able to see the aurora uh, a little further south than normal. So actually seeing some maybe down at our latitude, maybe even further south, depending. Now we don't know for sure yet. We don't know how active it's going to remain. We don't know what kind of flares it's going to send out and what direction, how close they're going to become to the Earth. The closer they're directed to the Earth, the more intense the particles and the more intense the aurora we'll see. But this will be something they'll be watching over the coming days as this, you saw how quick it moved there. I think that was about 40, I think it said that was about 48 hours worth of time. Yeah, from the 19th, starting on the 19th, so starting this weekend and then coming through through yesterday. 
and move there. So in a couple more days, it'll be getting closer and closer to the center here. And again, closer to pointing towards the Earth. We'll certainly know in advance because if there is a solar flare, we see it first. The light only takes a couple minutes to get to us. The particles don't travel near that fast. They don't travel at the speed of light. They still travel pretty fast. They can get to the sun, from here to the sun. It takes them a couple days. So we see the solar flare and then we have a couple of days before the particles actually reach here. So once we see a nice flare, know where it's directed, know that it's directed towards us, then we have a little bit of warning before we actually uh, get, to see the, get to see the aurora. Questions? Nope. Alrighty. Well, let's get back to chapter 11 then. We were at this one last time is where we finished up. So we were looking at the hydrogen atoms. Hydrogen is 90% of all the atoms out in space. So being able to detect hydrogen is very important. Most of the hydrogen that we've looked at so far was like we looked at at the tubes here in class. I had the tubes that were excited sending high, very high voltage through them and the gas would glow. That takes a lot of energy. That requires very hot stars with a lot of ultraviolet radiation to excite them. Out in the depths of space, there's not always a big hot star around. So it's not easy. That, that hydrogen is then invisible to us, invisible light. If we're looking at it with normal visible light, we don't see anything. We can see it with radio waves. There is another transition, another way that the hydrogen atom can change. Each, the, both the proton and the electron spin. And there are two different ways. They can either spin in the same direction, right? They're both spinning parallel to each other, both spinning, in this case, counterclockwise. Or they can be spinning in opposite directions. One can be spinning counterclockwise, the other can be spinning clockwise. This is slightly more stable, so this is the situation the hydrogen atom wants to be in, but it doesn't take a whole lot of energy to get it up into this state. Doesn't take energy like an ultraviolet radiation from a star, doesn't take x-rays, doesn't take gamma rays, doesn't take visible light, doesn't even need infrared light. Radio waves could excite it that much. Very, very low energy uh, radio waves would be able to excite it, and in fact you could also excite it by bumping into each other. This takes a little tiny bit of energy, so as these atoms in the cloud are banging into each other, they can cause the spin of one to flip, of one of the particles to flip. And when it does that, just as it does in, when it ex we excite it to a higher energy level, it doesn't want to stay in this state where both are parallel. It wants to be in this state, so it jumps back down and it releases a photon. Not a photon of visible light, but a photon of radio light that is actually very, very long. It's actually 21, 21 centimeters in length. So about that, that's about how long the wavelength of that is. Very, very low energy. Uh, so much, very, very long compared to all of the other types we've looked at. Much longer than infrared and ultraviolet and visible light and those. But it, because it takes so little energy, we can, this can occur out in the depths of space inside these dark clouds so we can actually detect them. Now we have a way to be able to detect the, those dark clouds. The hydrogen, even though it's completely invisible to us looking with normal visible light that we're used to looking, they can be seen looking in the radio and those clouds will glow brightly. 
we can track out that hydrogen, which again is 90% of all the material in the universe. So when we look at those, we actually get maps. This one actually isn't mapping out hydrogen, but there are lots of different molecules that we look at. We can do this with hydrogen, with the transition I just mentioned. There are other types of transitions that will do this as well. This is a combination of hydrogen and carbon monoxide, H2CO. So just another molecule that can happen to form out in space. We can look at things like carbon dioxide. That will form out in space. Carbon monoxide will form water. You know, all sorts of compounds containing things like carbon, oxygen, uh, hydrogen are very, very common out in space. This is the nebula itself here. So that's what we see. That's what we see in visible light. We see this. When we study it in radio waves, when we look for these molecules that are not visible to us, we see that the peak, most of the energy is being emitted over here. So here we're looking at the very edge of this cloud. That's where it's glowing. That's where stars have formed and are now able to illuminate that gas for us. But deeper into that cloud, further in, there's a lot more material here that hasn't yet completely formed stars. There could be stars in the process of forming there, deep down in that section, but it's telling us that there is a lot of material here that isn't visible to us under what we call normal circumstances. We don't see that as we normally see visible light. So there's a whole bunch of different molecules. These are just some of them. Uh, H2CO is one we use. Uh, carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide, water, all sorts of things that we can track. And we actually find even more complex molecules in some of these very dense molecular clouds we can find uh, organic, com more complex organic molecules. Lots of things with carbon in them. So they give us a view that we wouldn't get otherwise. We can see that there's a lot of material buried down in here that's not visible to us with our regular optical telescopes. We can't see that. There can be lots and lots of material there. In fact, in many cases, a lot more than what we see in the rest of this. It's just too dark. It's not emitting any kind of visible light for us to see. Now, if we look at this, this is looking at carbon monoxide. This is looking at our uh, part of our galaxy in carbon monoxide. Again, this is a radio image. So this isn't what you see with, with your eye. These are very, very long wavelengths. Where it's very bright, there's a lot of carbon monoxide around. The carbon monoxide emissions are very strong here. That means there's a lot of gas around. If carbon monoxide is strong, hydrogen will be strong as well because all the, most of the material is going to be hydrogen. So again, this is allowing us to look at some of these regions where stars are currently forming. We can't see them in visible light. They're deep in dark, dense clouds, completely surrounded, and we can't see what's going on there. They're completely shielded from us. But in radio waves, the radio waves can penetrate through that dust. Just as radio waves can penetrate through a building, so you can pick up a cell, a cell phone signal inside. The same thing happens deep inside these dark clouds. You, these, these can actually, these radio waves that are created down there can actually make it out. They penetrate through, whereas any visible light that's created down there will not be able to make it out. It's buried. You might have the brightest star in the world buried down there. But until it gets, until it pushes away enough material to break out of that cocoon, it's going to be completely invisible to us. All we're going to be able to see is the much longer wavelength emissions. 
So that's kind of an emiss, that's just looking at our, our, our galaxy and you see a whole bunch of these bright areas. Those are all regions where stars are forming in our galaxy. There's a lot of star formation currently going on and we'll look at that and contrast that when we get to chapter 15 on galaxies. We'll look at how that compares and all the differences that we see with some other galaxies. Some galaxies like ours have star formation going on. Some have even more star formation going on than ours. Some have essentially none. So we'll look at all of these different types of galaxies coming up. So, we saw some star formation there. How does star formation work? How do we actually begin to form a star? Well, to start out, we've got to, we have that dust cloud. We've got this gigantic dust cloud out there and it begins to contract. It starts to collapse. So gravity kicks in and tries to start pulling all the material together. Recall, gravi gravity is a force between every particle. So everything is pulling all of the material, everything is always trying to pull the material down. The earth is pulling us, holds us to the earth through gravity. It holds the atmosphere to the earth. But why does the atmosphere, the atmosphere doesn't completely collapse immediately. So why does this happen, right? We have here, we can still breathe, the whole atmosphere isn't pulled down by gravity and sitting on the ground. The same thing is happening here. These star clouds that are out there, these clouds that are out there, all the particles are moving around. So they don't just want, they don't really want to collapse. They're not normally going to just collapse and crush down to nothing. But something has to be there. Something has to be there to start the, the, to start the collapse. There's a couple different things that we can get. You can have a couple of gas clouds out together and they could collide into each other. If they crash into each other, that could start to compress one, make some of it a little bit more, a little bit denser than normal, and kick in its gravity. Gravity now is more intense in this spot. It starts to gather more particles and the process builds upon itself. But it's not just something that starts all by itself. There has to be something occurring. Another thing that can happen is uh, a supernova. A star can explode. Explosion sends out a massive shockwave that could compress the cloud. You need something to get that to start to compress down to get gravity to be able to kick in. Otherwise, those particles in that giant gas cloud out there, you know, giant gas cloud, you know, many, many light years across, are just happily moving around, zipping around, uh, much as the particles in our own atmosphere are doing. We need something to actually compress you know, compress, push in one side of that and start a region, a region collapsing. Start some section of it actually able to collapse. Quick thing, star formation, you know, in one slide here. As it collapses, you're going to get hotter and hotter at the center of that. And eventually, nuclear fusion will begin. If you get it hot enough and dense enough, many millions of degrees, you're actually going to have nuclear fusion be able to begin in the core of the star and that's when you'll have a star here that will start to push out the material and clear out the material. So that's real quick what we're going to be looking at now is of course in a little bit more detail. But I was comparing it to the Earth's atmosphere, right? Every single particle in our atmosphere is being pulled down by gravity. So why doesn't it just collapse down? Well, it's the same reason this cloud doesn't want to collapse. All of these particles in the cloud or in our atmosphere are moving. 
They might be moving in towards each other. They might get close together, these five particles. There's a gravitational force between them, trying to pull them together. But they're moving so fast that instead of colliding together and becoming a little more massive area, they just keep moving outward. So this one that started here moved in and then just kept going. So there's lots of motion within, our, within the star cloud. All the particles are moving randomly in all different directions at very high speeds. In order to overcome this, you need really strong gravity. You need to really start compressing something. So in typical things, the gravitational force is not strong enough. There's not enough gravity in this cloud to pull these particles together to overcome their motions. Same reason our atmosphere is still here. Right? If the particles in our atmosphere stop moving, they just all sit still. Well, they're not doing anything. They're quickly going to be pulled. They're going to be pulled down to the ground. And our atmosphere, instead of stretching up many miles up into the up above us, will be, you know, a layer on the ground. All the particles would be down there, pulled down by gravity. But because they're all moving, their individual motions is are much faster than the gravitational force is able to overcome. The same thing is happening in that dust cloud. All these particles are moving around. Sometimes they get close together. But unless you get, you know, instead of five particles here, start getting hundreds and thousands and millions and billions of particles close together through some kind of compression, the gravity isn't going to be able to kick in and all the particles just continue to move around. So they won't actually stick, they won't actually stick together. You need much, much higher gravity to be able to do that. All right. First few stages of star formation. I'm going to give you a, this is a table from your textbook. I'm going to then go through them pretty much by number afterwards. I'm not going to test you on the numbers. I wanted to make sure you know that. That I'm not going to say what happens in stage two or what happens in stage four. I want you to know the procedure, but I'm not going to ask you to memorize that each stage one is this or stage two is that. I do want you to know the different stages, but you don't have to memorize them by the numbers. That's just used as a convenience uh, for the textbook. But this is a table that lists that shows how things change as we go from stage one, which is that giant interstellar cloud out here all by itself, to a main sequence star like the sun. So we go through and how does everything change? And we can look at it here. Let's see. Let's start with temperatures. These two are temperatures. One is the central temperature. What is the temperature like at the core of this, the middle? The other is the surface temperature. What is the temperature like on the surface, on the outer layers of this object that's forming? Well, we start out, there's really no difference. They're both extremely cold, 10 degrees. Again, not 10 degrees Celsius, not 10 degrees Fahrenheit, but 10 degrees total, 10 degrees above absolute zero. It's 10 degrees above the coolest temperature you can possibly get. So incredibly cold out there. As it begins to collapse, you see that the temperatures increase to hundreds, tens of thousands, to millions of degrees. So that central temperature gets hotter and hotter up till by the time it's a main sequence star like the sun reaching 15 million degrees. The surface temperature also increases, although no, nowhere near as much. When it becomes a star like the sun, which is the example we're looking at here, it'll come to about 6,000 degrees. So temperatures will increase greatly as we go through this, through this process. The density here 
How many particles do we have in each cubic meter? Right? Big cube there, a meter on each side. How many particles? Well, you start off with hardly any, maybe only a billion. Right? Billion particles in that, but of course you have billions of billions of billions in every little centimeter cubed here on Earth. So, very, very low density there. And it increases by many, many times. It increases a thousand times here, and then another million times, and another million times, and 10,000, and another thousand, and another 10. So the density is increasing drastically. Till you get down to the point here, where you have 10 to the 32nd. I could write it out, that's a 1 followed by 32 zero particles in every single meter. Meter, cube, a meter in size. So density gets incredibly high. We need that density. We need this high temperature in order to be able to have nuclear fusion. The nuclear fusion that we talked about at the, at the center of the sun, we need extremely high densities and extremely high temperatures. Diameter is getting smaller. So density gets higher as it collapses down. As it collapses, right, makes sense, it's going to get smaller and smaller. So you start with 10 to the 14th kilometers, spreading it across light years. That's light years in size down to the size of the sun. So still very big compared to many things we're used to, but a lot smaller, many, many times smaller than what you see here. Uh, this is just the naming it. What do we see? We see clouds, we see fragments, we see protostars. We see officially a star here once it reaches 10 million degrees. And then we see a main sequence star. That's the star much like the sun. The one I skipped, the very first, well, next column after the stage number, tells you how long each stage lasts. How long does it take to go? Once you've reached stage one, how long does it take to get to the next stage? And if you can see the times here, first one's about two million. So it takes about two million years to go from stage one to stage two. Takes about 30,000 years to go from stage two to stage three. 100,000, a million, 10 million, 30 million. So overall, we're talking about 40, 40 some million years to go from an interstellar cloud out in space like this to reach a star like the sun. Not just to form a star, but to form a star like the sun. Actually becomes a star a little bit quicker. What about 10, about 15 million years or so. So it only takes it a shorter time to become a star, takes it a little longer to actually reach the main sequence that we looked at last, last week and we'll be looking at more. It's a relatively short time compared to how long the star will live once it reaches the main sequence. If it only takes it 45 million years to get there and it lasts there 10 billion, there's a lot of 45 millions in 10 billion. So, in terms of seeing a star in any of these stages is much rarer because they don't spend a lot of time there. You're just getting a snapshot of the star's life. So when we're looking at these, they're not very long time frames. And if we could come back in to any of these stars that are in the process of forming in a few tens of millions of years, they're gone. They'd be gone and other stars would be, would be forming. They'd be regular normal stars like our sun. Whereas if we come back and look at our sun, 20, 30 million years from now, it's going to look pretty much like it does right now. It's not going to change at all. Whereas all of these others, or all these other stars that are forming will be completely different. If we go look at the Orion Nebula, for example, or any of the star forming regions that I've shown so far, those will completely change 
over that kind of time frame, whereas our sun, come back in a billion years, it's still going to look exactly the same. It's still going to be there, burning hydrogen into helium, sitting there nice and calm. So we can look at these in a little bit more detail. And again, I'm labeling them by stage, but I'm not, I'm not going to test you on stage one is this or stage two is, this, is that. I just want you to know the general process of them. Stage one, the cloud starts to contract. Again, why is a good question. We think for our solar system that it was a supernova nearby. That there was a supernova that went off you know, tens of thousands or, or so years before the solar system started to collapse. And there's some measurements of different isotopes that we've got, that we've looked at, different radioactive elements that were present early on in the history of the solar system that could only have been produced in a supernova. They wouldn't exist naturally because they just don't live long enough. So we think that in the case of our solar system, it was a supernova explosion that triggered this cloud. That triggered this cloud, this gigantic cloud, to start to collapse. Once it collapses, it begins to, it doesn't collapse down into one gigantic star. You might have hundreds or thousands of times the mass of the sun here. It doesn't collapse down to one gigantic star. As it begins to collapse, you get pockets where the density is higher and you'll get more and more material here and it will start to fragment into different chunks. We're making it look nice and pretty here. It's not near going to be that pretty. You might get one bigger star over here or a couple bigger stars. You might get lots of little tiny stars. You know, here we're making it look like, oh, it fragments into four nice similar sized chunks and then they each go into pretty much the same thing. And it would be like that. You might get some smaller chunks. You might get some much bigger ones that would then fit fragment again. So it's not going to be quite as simple as is shown here, but the process is what will occur. It will happen as it goes, as it collapses, it will start to fragment into chunks. So you might have had hundreds or thousands of solar masses here. You're now getting down to things that have, you know, tens to hundreds of solar masses in them. Could still be many stars forming within them. If you're forming stars like the sun, you know, if you've got hundreds of solar masses here, you might be forming a cluster that has, you know, 50 stars like the sun. So you could be forming many, many more stars than actually form there. In this case, we're showing, you know, maybe four stars. This fragments and then fragments into four. And we're starting to see the beginnings of a small cluster as that cloud collapses. But the key is that something had to happen. It didn't just all of a sudden sit there calmly, today I'm going to collapse. It's not going to do that. It's going to sit there nice and calm forever until something triggers it to collapse. There has to be some explosion, some kind of shock wave going through it that will actually begin the compression and start this process. Stage two, within that, you begin to uh, you continue the fragmentation. So you started with one big cloud that fragmented into several pieces and those begin to fragment. The process continues until you get objects with a high enough density. You start to get enough material there that they don't fragment, they actually begin to form stars. So that's stage two, well not stars, protostars, beginnings of stars. Stage three, now you've finally really begun to heat up the interior. You've gone from tens of degrees to tens of thousands of degrees. Still not near, not near hot enough to do anything with nuclear fusion. It's not going to form, it's not producing any kind of energy. Yet, 
10,000 degrees is much too cold. We need at least 10 million degrees. We need to be a thousand times hotter than that in order to actually have any kind of nuclear reactions going on. But it's getting much hotter than the 10 degrees at which it started. It's already gotten a thousand times hotter and it's going to get a thousand times hotter than that before any kind of energy uh, is released. So now we're sort of take, making a jump here. The first one we're looking at this whole cloud. Now we're concentrating, picking out one of those fragments that we looked at previously. Let's look at one of those fragments and the interior of that as it begins to heat. So I'm going to go back one slide here for a second. Instead of looking at the whole cloud as we were looking at in stage one and two as it fragments, now we're looking at one of these little tiny fragments. This is going to be solid. It's got enough density there, enough material that it's not wanting to split apart anymore and it's going to stay there. It's now going to stay and it's going to continue to collapse. It's still much bigger than the sun is. We haven't collapsed down to a very tiny size yet, but it's getting there. It will get there over the next couple of stages. So what's happening again as we looked at in that table, the density is getting higher and higher. We're getting more and more particles, so gravity is getting stronger, pulling more particles in. Now we're not going to fragment anymore. We're not going to split that into, into more pieces. And we're getting warmer. It's getting much hotter at the center. And temperatures are beginning to increase. Now as we go on, here's an example of where we might see some of these stars. This is Orion. Orion, one of those nice constellations that people can recognize. And this is called the Orion Nebula is what we're zooming into here. This is the whole constellation of Orion. There's Betelgeuse, the reddish star. There's Rigel, the other real bright star that's blue. If you recognize Orion, it's usually these three bright stars in the belt. There's also the sword hanging down from the belt, has several more stars in it. Except that this middle object here isn't a star. And as we zoom in here, this takes this little box and we zoom into here. That is actually, that reddish part is actually the Orion Nebula. Not a cool red star, but a very hot gas lots of hydrogen gas and what we're looking at there is not a single star but actually a grouping of stars and the gas surrounding them. Now as we continue to zoom in, so now instead of looking at this whole section here of the sword, we zoom in on just this. We actually see the Orion Nebula itself here still in visible light. Uh, that's the Orion Nebula itself. Hard to see. There's still a lot of dust there. Hard to see through. but. In the, within this, there are a lot of stars in the process of forming. This is that gigantic cloud that originally formed. That's this big cloud. It's then fragmented into lots of pieces and within those pieces, certain sections are condensing down to form stars. Here's an example here. If we zoom in on just this little section, we actually see in the radio part of the spectrum, we actually see emission there. So we're actually getting some dense knots of material forming. So this is some, these are what we call, begin to call protostars. They're, they're not really stars yet, but they're really dense hot knots of material that are beginning to form. If we look over here, another section, this time looking in the visible, again we see some very dark areas where those stars would look bright here, they look dark here because they're so dense so dense in material that it blocks out everything that we can see, we normally would be able to see from them. So this is, a, this is sort of this, the procedure I've given you in process. This is really what is happening here in Orion right now. 
So over the next tens of millions of years, Orion, that section of Orion is in the process of producing more stars. If we could come back and look at this nebula in millions of years, it would change. The whole nebula will be changing as these stars begin to form and begin to start emitting lots of energy. They will clear out this nebula. So if we could come back in 10 million years, the Orion Nebula will be gone. It won't be there anymore. There's still lots more dark material out here, so likely this nebula itself will be gone and there will be a small cluster of stars there. And now more material over here will be in the process of glowing as stars that have that are completely invisible right now, or just in the process of just beginning the, their formation, will have formed. So we do see evidence of this. We see evidence of it out there in the universe where stars are in the process of forming. Orion is one of the key places that we actually see this and one of the nearest regions to us, being only you know, hundreds to a thousand light years, hundreds to thousands of light years away from us, relatively close in terms of the scale of our own galaxy. Stage four, told you we're going to see HR diagrams a lot. Here we go. Uh, starting with these, and now we're going to see how things change. Right now, we have this star is in the process of collapsing. It's really big, about 100 times the size of the sun. It's very cool. Hasn't heated up yet, hasn't heated up near enough on the surface as it's going to. This is eventually going to become a star like our sun. So it's going to work its way from over here down to the main sequence, and we're going to see how it does that. What we see, like those images in Orion, are not stars. In order to define what we mean by a star, a star is an object that is producing its own energy through nuclear reactions. <coughs> so if it's not producing energy through nuclear reactions, it's not a star yet. This star may, this protostar may be up to hundreds of thousands to a million degrees, but it has not yet reached the high temperatures needed for nuclear reactions to occur, so we call it a protostar. It's on its way to becoming a star, but it hasn't made it yet. But it's got a very cool temperature, very bright, a lot of luminosity because it's so large. Why do we not see them if it's so bright? Because they're still buried deep down within the dust clouds from which they formed. If there was no dust around it, it would stand out as a very bright red star. But because they're buried within that dust cloud, they're essentially invisible to us using normal optical telescopes. We have to use radio telescopes, infrared telescopes to kind of peek in and see what's going on there. But what we're going to do is then track this down. Here's stage four. Stages one, two, and three really don't fit anywhere on the HR diagram. Things are much too cool. We're now getting into stellar-like temperatures, things in 3,000s to 30,000s degrees. The other thing that's begun right now is that we're forming planets. We're starting to be, we begin to form planets. That's at this stage. Where are we? We're getting into stage three and four here. We start out with this gigantic dust cloud. It's collapsed down. It's now getting to the point where everything is collapsing down into a disk, spinning around it as the material collides into each other. So we now have a protostar at the center, still not a star, and we have material orbiting around it. Like our solar system, that's where a new solar system will form. We see this around lots of other stars. So we know that solar systems are likely. We've detected pushing 2,000 new planets now outside of our solar system. And we also see, in addition to those planets, we see a lot of disks. We can detect disks around other stars. So we're actually getting disks of material. 
So that's what is still, that's what's happening here at this point, at this early stage of the protostar, we're actually beginning to form a solar system as well. So many of these stars will form, will form a solar system around them. Ours is not unique. We begin to see lots and lots of stars, of stars that have planetary systems around them. At this point, if you recall when we talked about the sun, I told you it was in equilibrium, which simply meant that gravity was pulling it down with some amount of force, and all that energy being produced was trying to push it apart with some amount of force, and those two were perfectly balanced. This star is not yet in equilibrium. It's, got, it's producing some energy from the collapsing. As it collapses, it gives off a little bit of energy, but it's not enough to hold it up against gravity, so it continues to collapse. As it continues to collapse, it gets hotter and hotter in the interior. So it's not in equilibrium. It is still in the process of collapsing, as we can see. It went from something gigantic out here to something smaller to something smaller, and now we're looking at just this central portion. We're actually beginning to see we're seeing the beginnings of a, star, of a star. But right now it's not getting any energy from nuclear reactions. Now the last day, now we can follow it. We can see how it moves on the HR diagram. And again, moving on the HR diagram just means that two things are changing. Its surface temperature is changing. We can see that. We can see how its temperature gets hotter and hotter, going from about 3,000 degrees here to about 6,000 degrees. And we can see how its luminosity changes, going from hundreds of times the luminosity of the sun to, in our case, we're looking at a solar type star, to the, to the luminosity of the sun itself. So what happens is, it, first of all, it's collapsing, so it's getting smaller and smaller. And that's this motion down here between stage 4 and 5 and 6. At stage 6, something happens. At stage 6, the center reaches 10 million degrees and it's finally able to produce energy on its own. So now the star is actually producing some energy. It's got nuclear reactions going on in the core, right? Hydrogen smashing into each other, fusing into helium. Not as fast as it will be eventually for the sun, but it's starting to produce its own energy. So it kind of stops the collapse. That's when this stops and begins to actually heat up the star a little bit more. It's now producing energy. It's beginning to heat. So you notice that it changes. It goes from here and it's actually its temperature begins to increase. And then finally as all of the energy, as it begins to stabilize, the star is still contracting because it's producing nuclear energy in its core, but still not enough. First it's producing just a tiny bit of nuclear energy. Okay, it's starting to push back against gravity, but it's not enough. Gravity is still stronger. Gravity pushes it down and heats it up more. You heat up the center more reactions go on. So you're producing, you heat it up more, more energy is being produced. And so you're producing more energy, you're getting better, you're starting to slow the progress of gravity. Eventually, when it reaches stage 7, that's when it balances. Then you're producing just enough energy in the core, you've gotten a high enough temperature to balance that star's mass against gravity. So this is where it begins producing nuclear energy on its own, and then it moves heats up a little bit and lands, stays on the main sequence. Once it reaches stage 7, that's the boring stage because you'll see the next chapter, this chapter ends at stage 7, we get there, we made a star. The next one says, okay, 7's over and we'll go on to stage 8. That's because not much happens in stage 7. Stage 7 is, for a star, boring. It's on in the main sequence 
And for a star like the sun, it's going to sit there for 10 billion years. And you come back and look at the sun, you know, next year, a million years from now, a billion years from now, it's going to be essentially the same. It's sitting there at spot 7. Whereas all the interesting things happen early on as it works its way to the main sequence, that first few tens of millions of years, and then maybe a hundred or million years or so after it uses up all of its energy. All right, stage six, and again I've gone through some of this, here it is in uh, words for you. Stage six, that's where we've actually finally reached 10 million degrees. Below 10 million degrees, there is just not enough energy. Those particles are not moving fast enough to overcome their repulsion. Two protons coming close together, they want to push each other apart because they're both positively charged. If the temperatures are less than 10 million degrees, their speeds are not enough to get them close enough together to fuse before the repulsion kicks in and pushes them away from each other. Once you hit 10 million degrees, you no longer have a protostar. You now have a star that's producing a little bit of energy. Again, it's just a little bit. It's just barely starting. So it, doesn't, it isn't producing a whole lot of energy, not enough to, start to stop it from collapsing. And that's why the star is continuing to con contract. Even though it's producing energy in its core, it's not producing enough energy to balance gravity yet. Gravity continues and increases the temperature going from 10 million degrees for a star like the sun to 11, 12, 13 million. Each time that temperature increases, a little more energy is being produced and the contraction slows. Once we get for a star like the sun, once we hit about 15 million degrees, we're in balance. Then the energy being produced by the star is enough to balance gravity and it stays there. And as I said, stage 7 is incredibly boring. I'm not spending a lot of time on it because nothing happens. In fact, we studied stage 7 and we talked about the sun. That's all the stuff that's going on on the sun right now. But it will sit there. It will not change drastically for billions of years. Or in this case, as long as it has hydrogen to fuse in its core. Once you're out of hydrogen, then interesting things start to happen again. Once you're out of the hydrogen, you're out of an energy source, and now gravity, which has been trying to crush this star since that cloud started to collapse, you know, billions of years before, now it sat there patiently and waited, now it's finally able to start contracting the star again, and more interesting things will happen. But while you're on the main sequence, not a lot happens there. Star just sits there for many billions of years. Till, till it runs out of that hydrogen. Here's some examples of these protostars, looking at just some images of them. Uh, these are all, I believe these are all visible light. So we have the disk, you've got the brighter area here and you have a disk surrounding it. So you have a disk of material, that would be where the planetary system is forming. We also start to see jets of material being thrown out of these systems. Very young stars, uh, in fact stars even like the sun, actually do this as they collapse down. We'll come back and we'll see these jets again and again over when we start talking about galaxies, only on a much larger scale. When things collapse down or are spiraling in towards forming solar systems, towards forming stars, towards forming black holes. When we talk about galaxies, much of the material comes in, but the way it spirals in also shoots material out perpendicular. So it shoots material out in a jet uh, of very high energy 
and actually two jets, one this way, and you can start to see the beginnings of one going the other direction, which would be similar. This is another one over here. We can see the star itself is still buried, but what's actually glowing is the material that has thrown out, that has been thrown out of this star, crashing into the gas and dust around it. So star here is still really invisible, but the material that's being thrown out as this disk forms is actually illuminating all of this material around it. So we see that on a lot of star a lot of stars even stars as small as the sun. It doesn't take a real big massive star to do this. Even a very small star like the sun can can create this kind of thing. Here's a couple more protostars in the infrared. Glowing there, we can see a little bit of a disk around it. Here we're getting one. This is one of those protostars that should should be really bright. But it's not. It's very faint. You can get an idea just from the image that it doesn't look it's not an incredibly bright thing out there in Orion. Because it's still, we're seeing a little bit, it's starting to produce enough energy that it's starting to peek out through that dust. It's finally getting enough energy that it's beginning to be visible. But the vast majority of the material is still being absorbed. But we're seeing actually evidence of many of these stages. We can see evidence of the gas clouds themselves. We can see some evidence where they're collapsing. We can see where they form to protostars and to disks of material. Now if we want to look at stars of other masses, they really all do the same thing, so I'm not going through the whole procedure again. Here's the sun. Here's for a star like the sun. Big gas cloud out here. Came in, started to contract, got smaller and smaller, producing a little bit of energy, warming up a tiny bit. Started nuclear fusion, moved, and landed here on the main sequence at the proper place for a star one, time, one times the mass of the Sun. A more massive star really follows exactly the same pattern, just shifted a little bit to the left because it's got a little bit higher mass. So it's always a little bit hotter and a little bit brighter than the Sun at every stage. But the procedure is exactly the same. It's still exactly the same process that we've talked about. Cloud, fragmentation, condensing, forming a protostar, forming a planetary system perhaps, and then heating up. You can see the same thing here. This is a star three times the mass of the Sun. Here's a star one-third the mass of the Sun. It follows essentially the same procedure. Except in this case, it's always a little bit cooler than the same, star, same positioning for the Sun and a little bit uh, fainter. So it's always down and to the right of that. More massive stars would do the same thing up here. Even less massive stars would do the same kind of thing down here. So I'm not going to go through and explain how this happens to a 10 solar mass star because nothing really changes. Now we'll see that as a difference in the following chapter where we will talk about the end of the sun's life and then look at you know, what happens for a much more massive star and we see that it's quite different. It's not the same as it is for the sun. Now, sometimes as the star, as that cloud fragments, sometimes it forms big fragments that form stars that are 10, 50, 100 times the mass of the sun. Sometimes it forms fragments that are the size of the sun. Sometimes it forms really tiny pieces. If as that star collapses and heats up, starts out at 10 degrees, gets up to thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, a million degrees, 2 million degrees, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 million degrees, 9 million degrees. 
and it stops. There's just not enough material there. So it might get up to 8 or 9 million degrees and it's collapsed as tight as it can go. It's done. It has no more energy to collapse and it becomes a different type of, a different type of object. We call it a brown dwarf star. It's not really a star because it's not producing any energy. Jupiter it was, is too small to be this, but it would be similar to a Jupiter. It's essentially a, it's a sort of in between a big planet like Jupiter and a tiny little star like Barnard star, which actually is a star. It's something kind of in between those two. We see lots of those out there. They're a, fail, they're a failed star. They didn't have enough material. They just didn't have enough material to get up to that 10 million degrees needed. You know, Barnard star just makes it. It just gets to 10 million degrees, you know, with a little bit to spare and is actually able to produce energy. Other cooler objects just can't. These brown dwarf stars will be similar in size to Jupiter, but they'll be significantly hotter because they did produce, they have a lot more material. They may be many times the, the mass of Jupiter. Three, four times the mass of Jupiter. So I'm going to come back, I think I'm going to stop there, I'm going to come back to this on Wednesday and I'm going to pick up here and I have Friday. You want to come back on Wednesday, next Wednesday? Good, you're going to, we don't need the week off, good. <laughs> no, that Friday, thank you. Yes, on Friday I will finish this up and then I have a video clip to show of some of the star formation uh, as well, kind of showing how it can form. Questions? Alrighty.